This is Person of Interest for Q102's Jeff Thomas. They say nothing stays the same, that the only thing constant is change, that you can never go back. Or can you? Stu Nisney is the owner and the only employee of Pixel 19 Vintage Clothing. He sells to collectors, celebrities. In fact, he and his partner, who he shares his space with, Amanda Hale of Sweet Dahlia Vintage, together they stock clothing that cover the last 150 years and are a costuming source for many feature films shot here and in Hollywood. In the vintage fashion world and in Hollywood, he's kind of a rock star, and he looks like one too. But don't let that intimidate you. Stu Nisney is a hometown boy. He loves the city, and he wants to dress everybody. After living and working in Los Angeles and traveling the world, he has reclaimed Cincinnati as his home, and he couldn't be happier because for him, what was once old is now new again. It used to be a really a real herd mentality kind of city where when Simon Lease was in, people would say, Cincinnati, we don't do that here. 20 years ago, it was a very Puritan, almost like East Coast. I went to prep school in the East Coast for many years, and it was very much like that. You know, people were very afraid of their own shadow. If you walked up to someone and you looked different, they assumed that you were going to hurt them or rob them. You know, so I wanted to leave, and I left in uh, 2000 to go to L.A. and, you know, just made a lot of changes, and and came back because my mom went through breast cancer. She's a survivor. She's now 78. And, uh, you know, Cincinnati's really changed and grown. You know, the young people have really made this uh, metropolitan type of city. And um, I-, I grew up actually not stupid far from here in North Avondale on Rose Hill. Oh, wow. My parents bought their property April 1st in 1971. Big mansion. It was like in the North Avondale neighborhood tour many years ago for only $49,000 because it was like shortly after the racial riots and nobody wanted to live there. My parents are like, we're not afraid. So, but the young people now, they've really made a huge change in the city and uh, people are calling this the new Brooklyn. Uh, there's no money in LA. There's, n- and people can't find jobs and, uh, People are moving. You know, a lot of celebs are moving, moving out of LA. They're moving out of LA. They're going to like Tennessee. Nashville's huge right now. And uh, Cincinnati is one of the places where one of the hubs where a lot of people are moving. Standard of living has always been very affordable. We're the Midwest, but we're not, you know, dang, da da dang, da dang, da dang kind of stuff. So people that enjoy culture and the arts and all those types of things move here and i've been exposed to that since i was a kid so it's a nice city when you left you had to have had this desire to maybe get out of cincinnati and experience burning burning desire i'd grown up um fortunately i was uh blessed that my parents looked at education as scholastic as well as traveling and learning to see what's out there and there was an emphasis placed on that most definitely huge emphasis Uh, My father's a globally known forensic psychiatrist and my parents were flower children in the 60s and we went to, you know, the summer fair right over in Eden Park. I can remember, I have a great visual memory, I can remember being a kid and seeing hippies dancing in the rain in the dirt with all their crafts. It was beautiful. I'm told that one of Janis Joplin's iconic albums, the the cover was photographed in Eden Park during that Uh, festival. I'm not sure, but I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. Musically, there's a lot of heritage here as well, like uh, King Records. Right. 
you know, they did a lot of stuff too. So arts and culture has definitely always been a part of Cincinnati and the people that have been here a long time, the ones that have passed and, and, or moved on or whatever have definitely made a huge influence and, and definitely left their mark here. And, you know, for now and for futures to come. What do you think originally turned you on to fashion of all things? Ever since I was in kindergarten, I always kind of looked at the other kids and thought, wow, these kids, these kids are doing things. They're listening to the teacher. They're doing what they're supposed to do. In kindergarten, I felt out of place. I felt like I didn't belong. Um, I'd always been influenced, like I said, prior to um, the arts and culture, symphony, theater, travel, religions, um, cultures, and seeing what else was going on in the world. And... um, I had always been, I I think I was initially influenced by the diversity of what I viewed as a young child. Which was heavily influenced by your parents, right? Most definitely. Uh, How did they have such very diversified interests? I mean, when I think of parents that grew up in Cincinnati, I think of that rigid old school refuses to get out of its own way mentality. What made them different? I think part of it was my dad wasn't actually from Cincinnati per se. He was from Dayton, Ohio. And my mom was from the South and they met in the sixties at a wedding and have been married for 56 years. They knew each other for less than six months. And in the sixties, you know, the world was a different place. It was a beautiful place. And, uh, they were flower children. Initially, my father's a forensic psychiatrist and he was in medical school and my mom did all types of artistic things. And, um, I think, their influences were from the culture that surrounded them during the 60s. Generational thing. Most definitely. Yeah. But a lot of the kids who were same age as you, growing up in the same neighborhood, weren't necessarily. You know what's interesting? It is almost a dichotomy type situation. You can ask my sister. She lives in Chicago. And um, during the early 80s, she was the fashionista. And I was just kind of the science geek and nerd. Uh, I I now tell people I'm a nerd in cool clothing. You know, I think essentially uh, the nerds of the world end up doing something with themselves and w- within within life. Um, there were a lot of different influences. I think the theater, the arts, traveling, and just feeling different than everyone else. I've been told that I'm very much a visionary. Um, I can forecast things. And basically, that's all pretty simple to figure out. You just study history and everything is reciprocal. Everything comes around, goes around. So as far as fashion, I was influenced by a whole eclecticism of things and different stimuli and people and places and just kind of created my own me. And is that why vintage clothing, you know, was sort of the bullseye for you? Well, I had a girlfriend years later, my first girlfriend, first true love. Uh, she was in fashion design at DAP at UC and we were together the entire time that she was in school. So I had the time to go and observe the studios and observe the classes. And essentially, I got a free education from the fashion design department just with my schedule, having the ability to go and watch and learn and, and be influenced by that even more. And that was in the early 80s. And that was a time where 
people in the club scene, at least this, the scene that I connected to, the underground and alternative scene, as they called it. Uh, it was very influenced by pop culture and the arts and so on. And so my interest grew from there. Um, many things that we would wear going to the clubs in Cincinnati and the venues and and concerts and so on, we would get used clothing, sustainable fashion, as, as it's called, things that will last for longer than humans will. And um, we would repurpose them. And I remember retroactively, um, you know, my parents would say, oh, you're going to grow out of that stuff. You know, you, you'll grow out of that six months. My father, very much a minimalist, when it would come to clothing, he would say, you know, you could figure it out. So I would take his old shirts and and uh, cut off the big collars from the 70s and make them Nehru collars, mm. which was in vogue, so to speak, in the 80s. So that, that was um, part of it where, because my parents weren't willing to invest in clothing that I would grow out of, I just decided to do my own thing. And naturally, I was uh, kind of focusing on the secondhand clothing and things that were different because as a young person growing up, you wanted to stand out and be unique. See, when I was a young person growing up, we all wanted to look current. You know, we didn't want to stand out. We wanted to fit in. I came of age in high school in the late 80s and oh my goodness, like the brand jeans that you wore mattered and the jacket you wore mattered. And if you couldn't afford it, you know, you felt like a less than. I completely agree with that. And I went through that phase as well where I wanted to wear the guest jeans and all the other, you know, the parachute pants and all this kind of stuff. And they were key pieces that I saved my money and picked up here and there. But then I would fuse them in with vintage. And um, many years later, uh, you know, initially, uh, this is something that most people are unaware of. I started out selling out of my apartments, wherever I was living, um, and worked in the nightclubs and bars and restaurants and hotels, and traveled extensively and would introduce myself to different dealers, vintage clothing dealers in other cities. And, you know, at that time, there weren't a whole lot of people in, uh, around coast to coast. There was a handful. And so... I would travel and solidify long-term business relationships, many of them that I still have to this day. I mean, it helps that you had an interest in vintage clothing in the first place, but you saw that there was a market there. Yeah. You know, my grandfather came from Russia, and this is probably a very important facet of why or what influenced me in addition to the other things that we discussed. My grandfather came from Russia at the turn of the century, and he ended up, after all types of work, getting into industrial salvage and scrap metal. Mm. So, you know, I wasn't on the lot or around that a lot, but he would talk about his work and so on. And like my dad said, essentially, I'm doing the same thing that my grandfather did, just with clothing. Um, my business partner, who owns Sweet Dahlia Vintage, mine being Pixel 19 Vintage, and our warehouse, 10,000 square feet of hand-picked inventory, is known as Pixel Base Alpha Warehouse. Amanda and I, when we first met, we had created this pact that it was our job to save all the clothing from the landfills and from being destroyed and thrown away. 
essentially what we're doing is i i tell people that we're archaeologists yeah we're buying and selling history sustainable fashion as i said prior things that will last and stay around versus some of the fast fashion that's available now so when you talk about sustainable fashion are you talking about timeless pieces you could wear today that still looked good 20 30 years ago where you talk about the material itself i'm talking about vintage garments that were made from a certain period and prior for example things that were made in the early 1980s 1970s 60s 50s and so on those things were made with quality they were union made and they were made by people that were very adamant and proud to be working in a factory making these pieces of clothing that essentially and were made in the united states well made well made to last to last forever union made made in the usa and true vintage uh to me and there are many young people that are in to the 90s and some of the 80s and a little bit of the 70s but to me true vintage because of my chronology uh, being 51, I, I'm fascinated with the 70s, 60s, 50s, and prior. Those were pieces, you know, there are pieces that have been around 100 years, and they'll be around long after we've gone, just because they were well-made. And each decade is so distinct. I mean, you can hold up photos of a family in the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and be able to identify the period just based on the clothing they're wearing the clothing and the and the accessories but this is what's interesting the big collars for example in the 70s do you realize that those were reminiscent and that style was taken from the 1940s everything is definitely full circle in fashion just like in life and um there's nothing new everything's been created things are only enhanced upon i was just going to ask you that so when you talk about like how people are always say, i'm going to hold on to this because it's going to come back does it really come back or does it come back slightly altered with like a modern variation done on it they never come back exactly as they were do they it never comes back identically but certain pieces will for example bell bottoms from the 1970s primarily with women in some cities men other countries as well uh the original ones aren't usually altered people are just going goo goo for gaga over the bell bottoms um but for example i was in an interview many years ago and i had kind of called to point he said what do you think the next thing will be in fashion and this is maybe 10 years ago and i had said well within the next five to eight years we're going to see a trend with the 90s which is what's going on now and i said but it's not going to be identical like the 90s with the stovepipe jeans and the cutoff flannels and and depression and so on it's going to be similar but a little more edgy with a techie look to it and that's pretty much what's happened along with the iconic pieces from that era that the young people are fascinated with in my industry embraces. And, and then where are we going uh, in the next five to 10 years? You know, that's a good question. Some people have asked me that. And, you know, I think honestly, the millennium, the reason being is that in my industry, it seems to be on a 10 or 20 year cycle. Uh, something is considered vintage if it's 20 years old. I personally have a hard time 
accepting the 90s as vintage. You know, to me, like you, I'm sure that was like yesterday. Sure. But for the younger generation, that's fascinating to them that they weren't a part of that era. They were just born, if not born. But I think what's going to happen is the millennium stuff. Anything from 2000s will be considered vintage. I'm not old enough to have lived through the Kennedy administration, but when you look at the old films, the sense of style in those days to me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just seemed like, you know, what a great time to be alive. And the cars. Love the cars. In addition to the fashion. There are people that are connected. You know, we sell a lot of the big vintage shows in Los Angeles. Um, Inspiration. We sell Brimfield and Sturbridge in Massachusetts, which is a huge market that goes on for a week or two weeks. And uh, the Manhattan Vintage Show at the Metroplex. And there are people that live and breathe like Amanda and I do vintage every day all day but these people take it even more hardcore there are people that i know in la that live the vintage life they drive a vintage car they wear the vintage clothing daily they live in a vintage apartment or house all their appliances are vintage and they're connected to certain eras and to me i think that's amazing it's also beautiful because it's keeping the passion alive one of the things that i love about watching a period piece is the ability to suspend your your imagination and kind of immerse yourself in Agreed. a different time yeah is there is there a favorite period of time that you have yeah the 1970s i love yeah. the whole like um, over the top, uh, the not necessarily just disco, but maybe 60s, 70s. A lot of like the early be- 70s yeah, or late 70s, mid to late 60s, early 70s, somewhere in that time okay. frame. Personally, with some of the mid century stuff, I have always collected the 1960s space age. You remember, um, and this goes in tandem with the fashion, the collecting and hoarding somewhat of different period pieces like the space age stuff, the round Welltron A-track players and the round mm-hmm. lights and all that Barbarella kind of stuff. I'm fascinated by that along with anything that's over the top, like uh, the disco shirts, the bell bottoms, the fringe vests, the more wild, the crazy. Oh, and love the platform shoes. The designs that they made were just unbelievable. What influenced what? Like, did bar- movies like Barbarella with Jane Fonda or the original Star Trek TV series or Lost in Space, did, did those shows influence fashion or was it the other way around? Most definitely. You know, uh, I'm a registered costumer with the Film Commission and we do many of the films here and a bunch in Los Angeles. And I found from my personal experience that the music industry, along with the garment industry, follow one another and they play off one another. And that kind of tailors and sets the trend for the generation, what's stylish, what's, fa- what's fashionable. And the gar- the fashion houses as well embrace that. But as far as culture like Star Trek and Barbarella and all those things, most definitely anything that's going on in the moment, there's so many criteria that come together as one entity to create like this ball that's revolving that is what fashion is considered to be stylish at the moment, if that makes sense. And as each trend changes, 
there are different people that try to be the forerunner that do something ahead of other people like I did. I started gathering at a very young age, held on to stuff and listened to the fact that people would say when I was young, wow, you know, if I had known that was going to be in style, I would have held on to it. Well, I started doing that. And I think maybe a lot of people nowadays, not necessarily hoarding it because that would be stuff that we couldn't get to. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're wanting to invest in the future, it's definitely a beautiful thing to invest in the past. I've seen great businesses with shrewd business people, shrewd owners that fail mm. through no fault of their own. You know, That's they're offering be- yeah. uh, they're offering a great product. Right. They may be in a great location, mm. but they fail miserably. And then y- you got a business like yours, Pixel Nineteen. 30 years. 30 years and which, growing. And growing. Yeah. You do no advertising, right? No, I don't do any. People consider you underground. Most <laughs> people don't even know where you are, yet you're thriving. How does that happen? Well, actually, I, you know, that's interesting. You may not have known about me, but in the industry, I'm globally known. I'm locally based. Yeah. I've traveled. I've done all my own advertising with the internet and social media. I do all that too. Amanda and I work a hundred hours a week with no hired employees and um, I think the reason that we're thriving is we offer something that no one else offers very unique yes sir hand-picked vintage uh, 10,000 square feet probably about 300,000 pieces of vintage and we're always rotating and bringing in new stock like literally every other day if I were to put on a jacket from, say, the 1940s, for instance. What kind of quality are most of those jackets going to be in from that era in 2019? You say they were well-made. How well do they hold up when you got to put them in front of a camera? You know, how hard is it to find ones that look like they were just taken off the rack in 1945? You know, honestly, running around and hitting every avenue that we have across the United States, our allies are uh, private homes, people like yourself. Uh, someone passes away or they're moving, they go online, we come up first and we go to their private home. We're members of the Better Business Bureau and many people have held on to things, whether it was, uh, you know, their grandparents and their grandparents, grandparents will go over there and purchase things. And, and in general, people take very good care of their things. So yeah. uh, a 40s jacket now, the stuff that we carry you couldn't tell that it would we we even come across things that are called dead stock or nos new old stock meaning that it's vintage for example from the 40s never worn oh really sometimes it even has the original tags on it no kidding yeah i find that time capsules people's private homes going out and trying to go to secondhand stores and all these other places vintage is global it's a pandemic pandemic phenomenon and it's only continuing to grow in popularity the reason for that is it's a very retroactive like we were saying everything is full circle the 70s and 80s were very much a me generation people nowadays are following that old school belief system where they want to be unique and stand out and vintage definitely allows you to do that because the piece you may be wearing could be one of a kind do you find that second and or third owners do they hold on to it and pass it on to someone else or do they wear it until they wear it out 
We have all kinds of people. We have people that come in and, and they're dealers or resellers. They come from Japan and Los Angeles and New York and all over the country. Then we have local people or people passing through that wear it. Um, a lot of young people nowadays are selling and, and selling online and to their friends and doing pop-up shops. But um, I found that, you know, we have people that come in every week or a couple of times a week to see the new product and buy from us. And as you were asking earlier, another reason that we're still in business and growing is because we offer handpicked vintage below wholesale pricing. Oh, really? Now, the people that, that may be doing a retail location, not I'm not saying anyone specifically, but greed will bring you to need. And I figured out from a very young age, if you offer the best product at the best price and you eliminate the competition. Because so, I think a vintage clothing is very expensive. It's not actually. No? It doesn't have to be. What kind of, it's probably tough to answer this question, but you know, let's say you want a nice shirt, nice pair of jeans. What are they looking at? With my company separate from Sweet Dahlia Vintage at Pixel Base Alpha Warehouse. You're looking at five or ten dollars. Doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a really? sport coat, a shirt, pair of jeans, a sweater, no kidding, a t-shirt, belt, shoes. Doesn't matter. Five and ten dollars. That's a key element in our success. So you're saying like a 1950s or a 1960s shirt? 1960s, 1970s, 1980s. So the 19, closer yep. we get to today, yep. 60s through 90s, 5 and $10. Really? All day long. But the older stuff, though. like That's at a different location. There's and less of yeah, them. They're yeah. a little more expensive. Yeah, but not that bad. We don't like to gouge people. Yeah. We realize, essentially, it's just stuff that's borrowed. So we want people to enjoy it, and we keep our prices more than fair. Yeah, and, and if I have a bunch of, I don't, but if I did, you're the guy that I call. Oh, yeah. You could call me or text me or email me, and we pay cash. Talk to me about the quality and condition of vintage items. There's, there's a grading kind of system that goes along with vintage. You know, there are companies, friends of mine in L.A. that are wholesalers, and they have warehouses full on skids that are shrink wrapped and there are dealers that buy and sell in mass bulk many of these what's called a rag house where they source the clothing and pick the rags out or clothing called rag and they grade them our warehouse is all what i would consider to be very marketable true vintage b c and d grade with loads of a and triple a so Something like you were referring to, like a 1940s jacket, wouldn't necessarily be at our warehouse. It would be at another location that I have. Just because I segregate the really old and rare and valuable, but not to say that those pieces don't make it into the warehouse. We're only two people doing a job that could be done by maybe 20. You're by appointment only? Yes, sir. We're by appointment. And Amanda and I work 100 hours a week, like I said, with no employees. We're closed on Wednesdays and Saturdays, but we're open all the other days by appointment, including Sunday. Do you sell online, like on eBay and places like that? Or I would think you would just kind of have to go there, right? Or do you have every single piece of clothing cataloged on the website? How does that work? No, 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 definitely not. There's a lot of information out there about my company and Amanda's company 
in our company. Uh, Do you find that when people come to you, they're looking for something specific, or are they just coming to browse? They're trying to well because grab we are, a look. Yeah, I understand that because you know, and it it varies. We get people that come to browse and end up buying a ton of stuff, or because we are by appointment and we are a, a specific go to destination. I'm going here specifically to shop for vintage. Um, people usually have an intention of what they're looking for. Uh, we sell a lot of vintage t-shirts. That's one thing that is huge. You think about it and, uh, vintage t-shirts are one thing that pretty much every woman, child and man in, in the world has in general. Mm -hmm. So vintage t-shirts seem to be something that are huge in, in the industry, uh, can house very healthy, uh, market values and we sell ours for only five dollars a piece i probably have over a hundred thousand of them and it's all hand-picked miles ahead yeah we did that i'm trying to think of other period that pieces. girl from compton uh my friend Dahmer, the zach efron movie uh let's see in la we did x-men origins prequel to transformers in la i just finished uh the Dolomite movie with Eddie Murphy, um, Blood on Wheels. We have a whole list of movies that we've done. So when they come to you, they buy them and they keep them? They do both. Some of the designer, we're, we're what's known as the source. Designers for the movies will come to us or they'll call us and they'll say, okay, here's our storyboard. This is what we're looking for. And if we're, uh, we're doing it remotely, we'll pick and send picks and then ship. Sometimes they'll rent and other times they will purchase. It just depends on the budget and what the designer and the, and the studio is wanting to do. When we have to rent, there's a lot more work involved. I personally prefer just to sell, but um, yeah, we feel really honored that we're, we're the biggest source or at least one of the biggest sources to my knowledge for feature films in greater Cincinnati and surrounding areas. What is the more important thing to you in your business? Keeping my customers happy. I tell my clients, I call them clients, every person that has interest, whether or not they come in or comes in, I let them know you're the reason we're in business. Yeah. That's another thing that sets us apart from other businesses. We appreciate that people are not, if you think about it existentialistically, you're not just coming to shop. You're donating a portion of your life to support what we choose to do to serve you in this plane of existence. And so we keep our clients first. We go above and beyond and we do whatever it takes to make them happy. I'm sitting across the desk here from you. You definitely stand out of a crowd. Is everything you're wearing, I'm looking at the jewelry, I'm looking at the iconic belt buckle, <laughs> the t-shirt, is everything you're wearing vintage? Believe it or not, I collect vintage and hoard a little bit, but in general, uh, no, nothing I'm wearing is vintage. Maybe some of the jewelry, uh, the belt is vintage, not the belt buckle, well, the belt buckle is. Tell I me about the belt buckle. The belt buckle. How would you describe the belt buckle <laughs> since people can't see what yeah, I see? It's, it's, it's as big as one of the rodeo size belt buckles. 
It duels as a plate when I uh, go out to eat you somewhere. You can eat dinner out of that you belt could, buckle. You could. <laughs> it's sterling silver and turquoise. And when Amanda and I travel, I even have the TSA people wanting to take a photograph of me. It's Oh, yeah. I mean, how do you even get through security? Uh, you know, as much as we travel, I have a system. I don't wear my jewelry to the to the airport. I keep it in a big side pack. Yeah. Shoot it through x-ray. And as soon as I'm good, I put it on then. And how would you describe your sense of fashion? Um, I would have to say vintage rock star meets vintage clothing gangster. That's a great way to put it. Has the business changed over the years since you started doing this 30 years ago? Immensely. Uh Immensely. From a handful of people that whether or not they're still in business um, to the whole world. You have people that my mom's 78. You have people my mom's age looking for vintage and selling online. Um, and you have, you know, kids that are 9, 10, 11, and 12 years old selling vintage mm-hmm. online or on Instagram and all these other places. I knew it was going to grow in popularity. Uh, if I told you the whole story about how it started from the beginning, which would take more time than I'm sure we have. I just kind of knew and I would wear things 20 years ago and get made fun of. People would laugh at me and six months later, they're banging down my door to get the exact same type of shirt that I was wearing, but no one would ever come up and say, Hey, you know, I was wrong or whatever. Being, fashion forward being a visionary and being able to see what may or may not happen is a gift in some ways it's also a curse because when you're doing things ahead of everyone else people are ready for it they don't understand but now i cannot tell you how many times i get stopped by people oh i love your jewelry i love your boots i love your you know Sometimes people follow me around wanting to know, ask all these questions and so on. Uh, they are, And what's funny is people either think that I'm in a band, like I'm some kind of rock star, or I do tattoos, which is kind of because I have a lot of tattoos as well. Yeah. So it's just interesting how people view me now versus the way that I looked back then. If we opened up your books, mm-hmm. where does most of your business come from? Private individuals, Hollywood studios, all the above. Uh, Japanese vintage dealers, dealers that have stores and or online that's uh, from New York, L.A., a lot of Cincinnati, Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana. I mean, we really get people coming from all over the world: Australia, Thailand, Hawaii. Doesn't matter. What country outside of the U.S. do you get most of your business from? You mentioned Japan a couple of times. Japanese. Is yeah. there an obsession with oh. American pop culture in Japan oh, still? Uh, that's a whole other story. Yeah, the Japanese have been fascinated with the Americana culture, and you have to look at it historically to understand why, and most people aren't aware of this. During the last war, we were the its very master and servant. We dominated them during the war, And then they became fascinated and in love with the master, so to speak. It's a very master and servant belief system. And then in the early 80s, there were Japanese that started coming over to the U.S. and buying up the culture. And to this day, they're still enamored with 
made in the USA, certain eras, and they always want the really old, the really hardest one of a kind. I've been selling to the Japanese for probably 20 or 25 years. Mm. So for, you know, just about as long, if not a little get, bit of time in between, they started coming here. And these guys, they, they are serious. They'll come by themselves. There'll be a, a, an owner or a buyer, or sometimes there'll be two guys. It's always guys. And they'll come through and they are like machines. They're fast. They're very meticulous. And they're serious buyers. They take it like I do. They take business very seriously. And I have an immense respect for that. What would you say, looking back on the last 30 years, is the craziest thing that has ever happened to you or something that surprised you in this business? Well, uh, I've had so many interesting experiences in, in 51 years of life and 30 years in business thus far. I'd probably say, I don't know, I'd have to use myself because something popped into my mind. I've done hundreds of fashion shows. I did them at the nightclubs and, and venues around Cincinnati. And I was wearing disco attire and had on a huge Afro wig and was set up for the big fashion show. And I was walking out onto the stage at the very end and I had these huge platform shoes on and I wasn't quite used to them. <laughs> and I fell off the platform, so to speak, the platform shoes and off the stage and into the crowd yeah. right onto a table. So that was oh. kind of embarrassing. <laughs> but um, You made an impression. I made an impression. I got right back up and back onto stage and finished up, and there was a nice applause at the end. So people were very understanding. A guy like you, I would think, has probably seen it all, every type of character and personality oh, yeah. out there. Yeah. You ever walk away from a situation and go, wow, that rocked even me? Yeah, uh, you know, there are very few things that surprise me, but yeah, you know, I can't honestly can't think of anything specific. There's been so many different experiences. Amanda and I have traveled to 25 states in the United States together for business, L.A. or Los Angeles five times, New York City, and the amount of people that we meet even around here getting into the private homes to purchase vintage I'd probably say the most memorable experiences are dealing with the clients at the warehouse on a daily basis. Yeah. The feeling at the end of the day that I made a difference in that person's life by making them feel good about themselves with whatever it is that they purchased. I like to say that I'm a vintage gangster, like I said, and that my uh, weapon of choice is vintage clothing and that uh, that I'm affecting one person, one garment at a time. The way that you are viewed by other people, like we talked about earlier, depends on what you're wearing, how you're wearing it. How you're presenting yourself. Exactly. Thank you. And uh, your sense of style, it, it can affect the way others relate to you or in a good or bad way. And it can definitely affect the way that you feel about yourself. Like if you think about it, think about when you put on a nice suit and you're dressing up to go out Yes, and you feel like a million bucks. Yes. Well, that's the way that I feel when I costume movies or 
people come in and try on, hey, how does this look? And I'm always honest. I'm always honest. If it doesn't look good, you'll tell us. I'll tell them. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to send somebody out there looking like a million bucks because that's a dictation of myself and my company. And I want people to feel good about themselves. And how do you know when somebody uh, looks good? I, I guess, I, you know I'm what a, I mean? Like, I'm a dis- I have a discerning eye. I'm a visual artist. And like we have discussed many times, 30 years, we work 100 hours a week. I literally live and breathe it this is all that i'm about i mean you could put a you can put a person in a thousand different shirts that are their size and fit but don't necessarily look good so if a guy like you were in charge and had the ability to sort of dictate fashion what men and women wore what would you do what would i do i would put everyone in something that makes them feel good about themselves doesn't necessarily have to be in trend. It doesn't have to be in style. It can be what makes you feel good about you. To me, that's what fashion is about. Wearing something that makes you feel like you're the king of the world or queen of the world. What would you be doing if you weren't doing this? Honestly, I've thought about that before many times. And honestly, I don't know. Like uh, if you got fired from your job, you know, I know that's if not I gonna, fired myself, yeah, if you fired yourself from your yeah. job and said, that's it, you're out of a job, Stu. You know, uh, if I fired myself, I'd reinvent my company in a different way and figure out another way to sell vintage. Yeah. Cause you don't just sell vintage, but you're, you're a bit of a stylist. Too. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, when people come to us as they do with any business in fashion, you have to realize you're not necessarily buying a garment. You're buying a part of me or a part of Amanda and what we're promoting. And as I said prior to that, you're not only shopping, you're donating a portion of your life. And as business owners, Amanda and I view it as this. You can buy clothing anywhere and you can donate a portion of your life anywhere. But when you choose us, we're forever grateful and we make sure that you walk out of there happy and telling your friends. Who are some of the most famous people you've dressed? There's a lot. Um, I just did styling for a photo shoot for David Banner. He actually bought one of the shirts from my collection that will be his. Gary Mudbone Cooper who was one of the original members of Parliament and Funkadelic. Yeah. Nas. There's just so many. And honestly, there are many that I'm not really allowed to say for respect to the individuals and privacy. But everyone that comes into the warehouse, the thousands of people that come in every week, every single person is a rock star to me. And a new canvas. Yes, sir. Wow. Yes, sir. And I love to paint. <laughs> Pixel 19. Mm-hmm. Where do people go to find you? You can go to our website at pixel19vintage.com. How'd you come up with that name, by the way, oh, Pixel19? Okay. Uh, a pixel is a single entity or beam of light which collectively formulates a video image and aestheticism. Moving at the speed of light, kineticism. 19, because I was 19 years old when I created the company. Mm. Plus uh, WXIX. Fox 19. Yep, yep, yep. You guys actually rated me as uh, one of the best vintage clothing stores in the city many years ago. Also, on television, 
Uh, I used to watch all the 1950s shows like Andy Griffith and Gomer Pyle and all that stuff. And that was Channel 19. So that was so part it, of it. That as number well. holds a special place it does. on a it number does. of levels. Yeah, yeah, it does. But to find us, you can go to Pixel 19. That's P I X E L 19 vintage.com. You can also find me on Instagram. Just put in Stu Vintage King. You can also check out Amanda. She's Sweet Dahlia Vintage, like the flower. She's on Instagram. We're all over the internet. And incidentally, we are not 24 hours. There's People put a lot of information out there. And we're just greatly appreciative for all the people that continue to support our passion. And we enjoy serving you. Stu Nisney. Yes, sir. Thank you for coming on Person of Interest. It was a pleasure meeting you. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Person of Interest is produced by Natalie Jones. If you found Stu as fascinating as we did, or if you have a suggestion for future Person of Interest, shoot us an email to POI, which stands for Person of Interest. That's POI at WKRQ.com. Until next time, for Person of Interest, I'm Jeff Thomas. Thanks for listening. These are the people behind the stories that matter to you. Thanks for listening to Q102's Person of Interest with Jeff Thomas. Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa. With over 50 years of sports betting experience, Fred is known in the UK for three things. Customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF.